Uh, so that's a pretty great little video. That's a Brene Brown video on empathy. Um, I, I love how it talks about, like, the, you know, the bear comes down into the cave and the bear, um, you know, the voiceover kind of says, it's about identifying something inside of you that helps you to understand what's going on inside of them. So it's a shared experience of being with a person in their, um, in that hole. It's not just um, like the, the little guy outside the hole yelling into it, just saying, oh, wow, you know, like, um, I'm so sorry. Um, at least it's not as, you know, as bad as it could be. And I know for all of us that we've been through experiences and it's difficult to compare grief to grief. It's difficult to compare anxiety to anxiety. Um, and when people do that, it diminishes that experience. Because like when my kids experience some kind of grief, I can say, well, your grief's not a real grief because you're just a little kid and not getting, um, you know, the biggest serving of ice cream is not really a big problem um, compared to what real problems look like. Um, By comparing like that, instead of just being with uh, a person in their grief, we diminish and we undermine and we do the sympathy thing instead of doing the empathy thing. So I want to look at empathy today because I've been on this kind of, this long run of sermons where I've talked about how Jesus sees people differently and how Jesus reflects God. And when Jesus sees people differently, he shows us how God sees people. And I want to pick up uh, again with another story, because I just think that this is just so important to our understanding of who God is, that uh, Jesus gives us that reflection. So I'm going to read a story from John chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into the action. Uh, This is the story where Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus has died and Jesus was a a way off and they sent him a message saying, uh, you know, Lazarus is is dying or Lazarus is dead. Um, I think he is dead by the time Jesus even gets the message. And instead of hurrying back, Jesus kind of dawdles a bit. Um, And then we pick up in, in John 11, 32. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we know from Mary and Martha that this is this is Mary's preferred place at Jesus feet. And uh, whereas Martha was in the kitchen and preparing food and and doing the, the, the work as a good host. But Mary was at Jesus' feet. And again, now we see that reflected with Mary falling at Jesus' feet and saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See, Jesus knows grief. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows. He knew disappointment. He knew betrayal. He knew love and loss. He was a man of feelings and passions. Um, And we know uh, a few chapters after this, it says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. Whoever's known me has known the Father. Because Jesus is the incarnation of God. He's the exact representation of God's being. He shows us exactly what God is like. 
Because God uh, for so long had been distant and people didn't understand him. And And he tried to express himself again and again and again. He tried to relate with people. And eventually he said, I'm going to come down the ladder into the hole where humanity is, where there is despair and brokenness and things are not right. And there is grief and suffering and things are not how God wanted them to be. He says, I will come down there and I will experience that with you. And I will be with you and I will empathize with you. I'll have compassion on you. Jesus is exactly what God is like. He is God. So in this moment, when when Jesus weeps, we don't just see how Jesus responds to this. We see how God responds to this. We can know with certainty that as Jesus was with his friends, Mary and Martha, as they grieved the, the, the death of Lazarus, that Jesus wept with them and that God wept with them. And it's this strange paradox because God is weeping with them and at the same time, God, and at the same time, Jesus knows that something miraculous is about to happen. You see, Jesus isn't weeping for the death of Lazarus. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what's going to happen there. He is weeping because Mary and Martha and the friends are weeping. He is weeping because he empathises. He's weeping because he is very much experiencing what they are experiencing and he is drawn into their suffering and drawn into their grief and he weeps with them. And in the same way, God weeps with us in our sorrow. God is deeply moved and troubled when we are saddened and when we do not, um, when we don't have joy. You see, but God is also, he's moved by our joys and our sufferings. Even though he knows one day everything will be made right. Right now, in the present, with us, God weeps with us when we weep because he loves us. And this is really important to understand that God is not emotionless. So for a long time, uh, and even now, there are lots of theologians who have this idea that God is both immutable and impassable. So God is both unchanging, which is a biblical idea, that God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, Uh, But they also then add to this idea that because God is unchanging, he is also unfeeling. That nothing that ever happens, God knows everything, so he never is impacted by anything. He's never moved by anything. But we can see in the life of Christ that Christ is moved and thus we know God is moved. The classical theologians who say that God doesn't experience any pain or any pleasure or any emotion have it wrong. This is a misunderstanding of God's nature. God's character and his righteousness are unchanging. And because of that character, because of his nature, he is moved to respond with love towards his creation. He deeply feels and experiences and connects with his creation. His love is unchanging and his mercy is unchanging. His compassion is unchanging. Yesterday, today and tomorrow. And because of his nature... He enters into our experience. That is the nature of God, which is why Christ in uh, embodying God is God entering into our experience. It's exactly the opposite of the classical worldview. In Christ, we see how God is deeply moved when he sees his children in pain. Uh, Most of you would have seen, especially if you're one of the parents in the room, that we have chickens out the back. Um, 
there's been quite a few escapades into the chicken coop for some of our young fellas. I now have to lock the chicken coop so that the, um, those two little boys on the couch over there don't roost in the chicken coop um, and get covered in chicken poo. Uh, and every week when Macy arrives, she runs out and she comes back with an eggy. Um, so the chickens are a big part of the, uh, the way the children around this place enjoy themselves. Uh, but when we first got chickens, our first clutch of chickens, we hatched them from eggs uh, and uh, we had uh, half a dozen of them and that, that hatched from eggs. And we had one, though, that was kind of the runt of the, of the clutch. It didn't really... It wasn't quite right. Um, and, and Gideon kind of adopted this little chicken called Cheep Cheep. And Cheep Cheep, some of Cheep Cheep's organs were not on the inside of Cheep Cheep's chest. They were kind of in between the chest and the skin on the outside. So when you pick up Cheep Cheep, you kind of like this... It was kind of... Cheep Cheep felt weird. Cheep Cheep was a bit of a weird chicken. Everyone kind of said Cheep Cheep will die. So we kept, um, we kept this little chicken because Gideon loved Cheep Cheep dearly. Um, and... To our great surprise, Cheep Cheep survived her early days and went on for you know, the next uh, year and a half or so uh, as a very happy little chicken. And Gideon would sit in the yard and he would cuddle Cheep Cheep and he would pet Cheep Cheep. They were very close. He loved Cheep Cheep. Um, he had a Cheep Cheep birthday cake. He had a Cheep Cheep birthday cake. We made a, a cake. Jess made a cake. Uh, a, a model of Cheep Cheep. He loved Cheep Cheep. Uh, but one day when Gideon went out to, to spend some time with Cheep Cheep, he found Cheep Cheep uh, in the coop lying on the ground and Cheep Cheep was dead. And he came back in and he, he understood what had happened. He was distraught uh, because his friend had died. And uh, this is what he said. He said, it's like a fairy tale has died because I loved her so much. Um, It's, it's, it's big stuff for, he would, he would have been four. So I, I dug a hole in the yard uh, and we put Cheep Cheep's body in the hole and, and Gideon came out and just like every sad movie that's ever been made, it started to rain. <laughs> and there's this little shovel and this pile of dirt and Cheep Cheep in a hole and, and we had a little a funeral service for Cheep Cheep. And then Gideon, instead of using the shovel, he got down on his hands and knees in the mud and in the pouring rain and he's pushing the soil back in with his hands and just crying over this, over this grave. Like it was devastating. Uh, and he came back inside and he, just, and he just said, I just need to be alone. And he went to his room and he just wept. And, and now I want to cry just telling this, stupid, telling this stupid story about this stupid chicken. Oh my goodness, and I wept. I wept so much. I cried so much. My heart was so broken for him because he loved this chicken. It's ridiculous. Malformed chicken so much. But because I love him, I entered into his grief. Even now, I enter into his grief. Because I loved him, I understood something of what he was going through and, and I wept with him. So if I, just as a, a father and not a perfect father, if I can be so moved by my son's grief, how can we possibly think that our father in heaven is not moved by our grief? That, that doesn't want to sit with us in our grief and hold us in our grief. To be there with us in our pain. 
So much so that God in heaven says, I will enter into their existence and I will come and and put on flesh and live as a man and suffer as a man and no despair and no sorrow and no anxiety as a man and be with my people and die for my people. He completely and totally enters into our experience because he loves us. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And again, just as Mary fell at the feet of Jesus and said, this wouldn't have happened if you were here, my Lord, this wouldn't have happened. Mary then says, we don't need to open that. It smells. We don't want to upset people. We have Martha has this other perspective again. And she's not wrong. Four days, they don't embalm. They're not Egyptians. Four days, this guy's been dead, just wrapped in a shroud with, with some herbs on him, maybe to try and a spice to try and get rid of the stench. But she's right. If they roll back that stone, it's going to be an awful stench. She's trying to save them from the embarrassment and the shame of what could happen and the uncleanliness of what would happen if they opened the tomb. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, sometimes we experience life in such a way that we get left in a dark cave all by ourselves and it just starts to get a bit funky. Time passes and the the experience that we had that damaged us, that traumatised us, that hurt us, the anxiety that we have, the shame or the guilt or the condemnation that we carry around, the the thing that we don't want exposed for, for it would just pollute everything near it. Jesus says, roll back the stone, I'm coming in, or rather roll back the stone, you're coming out. He wants to be there regardless of how much Lazarus smells. He wants to say, take off that garment of, of, of shame and take off that garment of, of, um, of, of, of corruption and take off that garment that is of trauma or of despair or of sorrow. Take it off and come back, come out. Whatever our embarrassment or shame or fear or worry, whatever it is that is hiding us away deep inside of us, that is bubbling away, that is hurting Jesus sees that and knows that and he wants to be with us regardless of that. Again and again and again, Jesus says, I don't care how unclean this makes me, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to embrace you. If there's an area that is overwhelmed with 
the stench of grief or disappointment or guilt or fear. You need to know Jesus does miracles. Maybe you had some kind of experience or challenge or something happened and you just you pushed it back in, in, into that cave and you felt alone and abandoned and you bottled up your anger or your, or your disappointment. You need to know in the midst of that experience, God was with you. He was with you in that lonely place. You're not alone. And you might say, just like these people did, well, if you were here, God, this wouldn't have happened. If you were real, God, this awful thing wouldn't have happened. But God doesn't promise us a life without those challenges any more than I can promise Gideon a life without challenges. But I can. I can say to Gideon, whatever you face, whatever challenge you face, whatever sorrow or despair or whatever grief or whatever challenge there is, I will be with you and I will weep with you and I will enter into your experience because I love you. And God says the same for us. There are free agents in the world that act. There are things that happen in this world that are corrupt and broken and awful. And God weeps with us when those things happen. You see, God can weep with us, but also know that new life is coming. God can, Jesus can weep with Mary and Martha over the death of Lazarus whilst he knows that there is a resurrection about to happen. And in the same way, God can weep with us when we go through all kinds of crap that we do not deserve. In a broken world that is a fallen system where sin corrupts and destroys and steals, God can be with us in the midst of that at the same time knowing that he is going to bring justice and make wrong things right and he is going to bring uh, redemption and restoration and make all things new. God is not aloof. He is not distant. He is not stoic and indifferent to us. And when we see Jesus with his compassion and his empathy, it perfectly reflects the compassion and empathy that God has for us. In becoming a man, Jesus enters into our broken world and our broken experience and he knows perfectly what is going on. And he dies because of that brokenness and corruption. But there is a resurrection around the corner that he knows is coming. God is not above us or separate from us or indifferent to us. God is with us. God is with, uh, with Mary, the unwed teenager who is pregnant and is uh, worried about being cast out of her, her, her society. God is with the unwed teenager like Mary was. God is with the asylum seeker whose child is being taken from them, who is being locked up and detained for whoever knows how long, who is unsure of their future. God is with them. God is with the widows and the orphans and the poor and the drug addicted and the prostitutes, the adulterers and the tax collectors. God is with the anxious students and the abused spouses and the oppressed people. He's with the fishermen the Roman centurion and the woman at the well, even the thieves condemned rightly for their crimes, he is with them. He is with you. So don't buy into any story or any lie that says God is not there or that you are somehow disqualified. Your status as a sinner or a saint or your gender or your sexuality or your race or your country of origin or your social class, do not change the reality. 
that God is with you and for you and that he understands you and that he is entering into your existence and he, and he embraces you. He is a scandalous God that does not conform to the religious expectations placed on him by the puritanical bigots or fanatics or Pharisees. He just doesn't do what the religious people want him to do. He loves all the wrong people. He's not against us. He is with us and he is with you. God's unchanging nature is one of love and mercy and forgiveness and justice. But it's the kind of justice that makes wrong things right. The kind of justice that sees brokenness and corruption and says, I will make all things new. He's a God that became flesh in Jesus and entered into our world and stood beside us. And he's a God that wants to roll back the stone and take the broken things and take the corrupted things and take the guilt and the shame or the broken story or the hurt or the trauma or whatever it is that we have deep in dark in that deathly cave. He wants to roll back the stone and say, come out. He wants to breathe new life into us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are one with us that you love us, that you feel deeply, that even though your nature and your character are unchanging, because of, of that, when you relate to us, you, you, your nature demands that you respond with love and compassion because of who you are. And I thank you so much for that. And I pray that we wouldn't experience uh, the condemnation or the lies or the, uh, or the things that would come from the enemy, that we would know the love and the forgiveness and the embrace that comes from you. I pray that we would experience your compassion and empathy as you are with us. Even when we go through circumstances and challenges that we just, we don't understand. And I pray that as we experience that embrace, that we would become more like you. That our nature would be changed uh, that our hearts would be changed, that we would become more empathetic and more compassionate and more loving and more servant-hearted, and more, that we would be prepared to sacrifice uh, for the benefit of others, that we would enter into the pain and the story and the experience of those who are, are lost and broken, that we would love as you have loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I can see. I mean, CJ's got a guitar there because he's uh, he's all he's all over it. But I actually want us to do a group exercise. Um, I know this is kind of a perfect setup for ministry, but uh, and I'd love for, to pray with people as well. But I don't want this just to become uh, a disconnected thing where everyone's like, "Yes, I can definitely have empathy when someone has a loved one that dies." Uh, like we make empathy out to be this thing that we only do in extreme circumstances, um, but empathy is what we do daily. When, you know, the person you're married to is struggling just because they haven't had coffee or, you know, some big thing. Uh, like empathy is something you do when the tensions where you live or in your workplace or your boss is, you know, just or your kid. You just empathy is a way better response to your kid than murder. Uh, you know, like, but like I want us to have a conversation about what empathy looks like in reality, not just. Um, as some big theological concept or some big experience because I think we do empathy well. 
You know, when someone in this community is really struggling, we know how to cook meals and we know how to be there for them. But it's more than that. Empathy is the day-to-day entering into other people's experience, being with them, understanding and caring, instead of standing on the outside saying, well, it could be worse. Instead of standing on the outside with judgment, instead of standing on the outside saying, your problem's actually not that big. Uh, Instead of, it's being with people where they are and loving them. So I want to have a conversation about that uh, where, and I want you guys to talk about what empathy is going to look like for you in this coming week. Um, so let's, yeah, let's do that now.